Welcome to the Resound Worship Songwriting Podcast, episode 23. I'm Joel Payne from Resound Worship. I'm Brian Dirksen. And this is an interview special. Brian, it's a pleasure to welcome you to the Resound Worship Songwriting Podcast. Great to join you by the wonder of modern technology. I know, it's great, isn't it? Um, through this technology, you're, you're joining us from a pretty long way away, actually. Just tell our listeners whereabouts you are. Well, um, I'm speaking to you from uh, a little town called Three Hills, Alberta, where I'm a professor at a college called Prairie College, and I'm teaching young songwriters, worship leaders here. Brilliant. Great. Well, that's perfect. You'll be well practiced and able to share, hopefully, some good insights with us. Um, I think, Brian, uh, of course, your name, which I think most of our songwriters will be familiar with, um, there are particular songs, and maybe we'll talk about one of the two of those uh, a bit later um, that is that are particularly well known um, but of course you know that you haven't always been Brian Dirksen the songwriter um, and where mm. does that um, just give us some idea where does that journey begin how does that journey begin for you well the songwriting journey begins really in what I would describe as a gap being revealed to me so I was 23 I was a new dad um, Joyce and I had our first daughter, Rachel, and I was a young, young worship leader at a church. And, um, I had this little experience with my baby daughter where, you know, she kind of put her arms in the air and without saying anything was like, you know, daddy, pick me up and hold me. And so I'm picking her up and holding her. And all of a sudden I am weeping because I realized that, my whole life I had I was raised that to show emotion was weakness. I'm I'm the son of a of a German Mennonite. Um, you know, and so you know, music is <clears throat> is powerful and it's it's got clear edges and it's classical and it's hymns and it's and there's me, a young man being drawn to more modern music and more emotionally expressive music and anyway i'm having this experience with my daughter and all of a sudden i have this god thought this is the experience actually i need with my father god is that i need him to pick me up and hold me when i'm hurt when i'm struggling when i just need some comfort and so this little light bulb goes off in my head I should sing a song called, you know, Father, I want you to hold me or that, that essence. And I do the little quick mental Rolodex, you know, through every hymn book I can imagine, through every modern worship song book, I can imagine the songs I'm singing at my church and I can't find anything. Mm. And then the thought goes, well, why don't you write one? And I'm like, well, but I'm not a songwriter. I, I, I'm not a trained songwriter. I didn't go to school to study music. And then the thought comes again. But it's there. Like the the thought was there. You, It's your assignment. You, yeah. you write it. You, there's a gap there and nobody's filled that gap. You write to fill that gap. So, so I wrote this simple song. And um, yeah, and it was my secret song to God. And it was that way for about six months. And then one day at a Bible study, the guy named Andy Park 
was leading the Bible study and, and something about the father wound and culture came up and people, their pain of being fatherless. And Andy looked over at me and said, Brian, I think you've got a song. And I went, I looked at him like, now I'm, I'm an introvert by nature. I'm yeah, quite shy. Me too. And, I get it. You know, <laughs> and I'm like, what? Uh, how did he know? <laughs> you know, and then, and then it was like, okay, I'll, I just grabbed his guitar and I said, I've got this simple song, you know, that I wrote out of this moment with my baby daughter and I start singing and people start crying and they start connecting and, 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 and then probably would have just maybe ended there, but yeah. a couple of months later, I'm the bass guitar player at a conference and John Wimber is the speaker and there's about 4,000 people there and they do a session on the father wound and culture and Andy's the worship leader <laughs> and they call up Andy at the end of the session, come close the session with an appropriate song and he looks at me, now I'm the bass player, <laughs> right? Yeah. And he goes, you go up there and sing that father song right now. And I'm like, no, you know, I'm like Beaker on the Muppet Show. No. Yeah. Like, anyway, so I go up there and I, and I sing the song and people start weeping and people are praying for people and the father wound is being addressed. And John Wimber walks up to me afterwards and says, you know, my father was an alcoholic and he left when I was four. That was an amazing song. Could we publish it? Wow. And I went, yeah. what, what's published? <laughs> And then he asked, do you have any other songs? And I said, I have one other song that I've written that I feel good that I could share. It's called Faithful One. And he mm. says, okay, well, we'll publish that one too. Right. Just like that. <laughs> that's how it started for me. Well, really. that's how it started. Yeah. So you were, you were connected in with the, with the Vineyard Church. And obviously, you were part, this is right, you were part of a church with Andy Park, who again is well known yeah. for being part of that movement. And, actually, and a movement that was was pioneering in some ways this more intimate form of worship was that happen had that already begun or, or, or were you was it all just sort of happening for you at the same time well i think i think i wasn't the first no that the the movement had started um about 10 years before this point and so you know guys like carl tuttle yeah um, Eddie Espinosa, Change My Heart, Oh God. And some of those guys were kind of pioneering some of the bit more intimate worship songs. And, um, yeah, making a way. So when I when I got involved, it was already rolling, but um, I think people had this pre... And then it, very quickly it started to codify, you know, like, yeah. okay, if you're, if you're going to do this then you have to do it with this exact music style and these exact type of chords. Yeah. And I really appreciated what those guys were doing in the heart of it, but my musical mother tongue was a little bit different. So I just thought, I, I remember thinking as I started writing, well, this is never going to work for public sense because it doesn't sound like the music that's popular, even in our church services yeah. or traditional. So I don't fit anywhere. So, well, whatever. This is the way I would express it. So that's all I can do, right? <laughs> you know. And has that changed over the years? I mean, we'll cut, I'd like to come back to one or two of those early stories, but has it changed over the years? Do you now sometimes write deliberately into a style or is it still just kind of your heart music that, that comes I think out? It's, I think it's both. I think... As I've developed as a songwriter and as I studied songwriting, because I found myself 
within literally a year of those first few songs, Refiner's Fire, Purify My Heart, Faithful One, Father, I Want You to Hold Me, I Lift My Eyes Up. When those went out, almost immediately people started asking me to teach songwriting seminars. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm just starting. (laughs) Okay, but I'm the son of an educator, so I thought, okay, that means I should learn what I'm actually doing here because I don't have any foggy notions, but I'm just responding intuitively to things. So I started studying songwriting and then I started teaching it. And as I started learning more and more about the craft of songwriting, then I probably over the years have experimented by yeah writing into a style. Mm. Um, but I always believe that content dicta- dictates form. And so what, by that I mean, that's a Stephen Sondheim quote, and that is that what you want to say uh, determines how you how you're going to say it. So yeah. I think there's certain ideas that really lend themselves to like a triple A kind of folk song or or almost like a modern hymn, and there's certain ideas that lend themselves to a verse chorus. Uh, you know, the, the, you know. So 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 yeah. It's it's. But then through it all, I'm I, I've tried to stretch my songwriting skills and my developed songwriting muscle, so to speak. But really, for me, it always comes down to heart songs, too, still. Like, I just go... And for me, it's always about writing for the gap. Like, if somebody else has written the song about the exact same subject in a way that matches my mother tongue, in a way that I can sing as my own, then I always have respect for that other writer, and I use their song. And then I wait for the gap. For me, it's the gap that gives me my songwriting assignment. If we can just go back again to, to some of those early days, um, one of the things we often tell people on our podcasts and if we're working with them as songwriters is um, don't expect to just be sitting there and God just puts a song in your head. Uh, or, you know, mm. don't, don't expect to just give it to you and there it is. It doesn't, doesn't, doesn't usually work like that. But I th- am I right in saying that actually for one of your most well-known songs, that's, that pretty much is the story or certainly part of the story with, um, with Refiner's Fire? Is that... Well, I think, um, and I can respond both generally and specifically, maybe yeah. I'll start generally to say is I, I really struggle with the language, you know, God gave me that song yeah. because I don't believe God gives us songs. I think God gives us seeds and seed is that, is that the gap, it's the aha moment, it's the, oh, I need a song that says X or it's the melodic little phrase that pops into your head but it definitely almost never comes by trying to get you know in a super spiritual state of mind you just live and then the ideas sometimes come at unusual points um for me refiner's fire was literally i I told you you know the bit of the story of father want you to hold me well so now my baby daughter's like six months old I'm working at a local church. It's lunch break. I, I only live a mile or two from the church, so I go home for my lunch break. Got, got to go see my baby girl, you know? Yeah. And then, okay, it's time to go back to work, and lunch break's done, so I'm getting in the car, and I'm driving back to the church office and pull up at a traffic light, and all of a sudden, I'm having this God encounter, this moment where the presence of God hits me so strong And it's like I describe it, it's really hard to put it into words, but it's like there's this presence right outside the window. It's like something, someone has drawn alongside my car with a message for me. 
I don't know whether it's angelic. I don't know what it is. I can't see anything, but I hear it. Like, and this, it's like this presence starts to sing. Purify my heart. Let me be as gold. And then gold just kind of fades away. And then it starts again. Purify my And I'm like, what the heck? You know, like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah. Like, God is visiting me at a traffic stoplight. Yeah. And, and planting a seed so profound that I... So I go, and then the light turns, and cars are behind me, and I have to start driving. And I almost didn't want to leave. It became like a little sacred spot, right? But I had to just drive on and got to the office, and I told the secretary, hold all calls. I'm having uh, some strong inspiration for a song, and I grab my Bible and a thesaurus and a concordance and I my guitar, and I go to some back corner of the church where nobody's going to find me, and I write draft one of the song that is now you know known as Refiner's Fire or Purify My Heart, and I had the seed was a complete gift, you know, it was that first phrase, and then I wrote the song around that. Um, responding to that and you know now if I had you know the same seed at the song may be a little different right you know yeah. but that's what I wrote at that moment 19 what was that 1989 wow yeah. that's a few years ago <laughs> it's a few years isn't it so that's oh, that's a really helpful idea this this thing of the seed so this even an experience like that and I think I think it's probably fair to say that most worship songwriters, most of their songs don't come from exactly that kind of experience. They come from an engagement with God of some kind or an idea or a seed yeah. or so on. But, you know, that's a, you know yeah. a, that's a, such a specific, specific experience. But even then, you don't say, God gave me the song. You say, God gave me the seed. And actually, you gave me a melody and some words, but I still had to go away and work on it. And, and right. Turn it into well, something. I mean... Yeah, and because the problem is if we blame God for songs, <laughs> often he's a bad songwriter. You know, like like the mel. I, I even struggle with the thought of saying God gave me the melody because melody is created by culture and we're a product of culture. Um, but I just believe that God inspires us, God moves us, and then we we express that inspiration in unique ways. Like... If you and I got the same seed, mm. the song would sound completely different. Yeah. Because it would come through our physical frame and our set of emotions and experiences and the skills we've developed around working with melody and words. Mm. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And, and words, you could say, well, could you say, well, God gave me those words. Even that I just think is like, well... I had this initial thought or inspiration or this phrase came to me. That's, I mean, everything's a gift from God. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I guess you could say I could, I, I just get concerned when, because what can potentially happen is songwriters who aren't seasoned, aren't experienced and are a little bit insecure, they can come along and they can say, God gave me this song as if to give weight to it, that you're somehow supposed to bow down and go, oh, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. and yet let, let, I always say to young songwriters, let other people say, God must have given you that song because it so touched me. Well, that, I, that makes sense to me, but you as a songwriter shouldn't use that language. 
You should just say, I had this idea, I had, was inspired, I got this seed, and this is what I did with it. I suppose I it it's like, it, it, it's similar to thinking about God speaking prophetically, isn't it? In, you yeah. know, in, in, a, in a gathering, you might say, I, I, I think God's saying this, or I want, you're trying to, yeah. convert, but you put, it, you, end, you put it in your own words, don't you? It's, it's passed yeah. through the medium of you, and that includes yeah. your mind and your experience and all of those other things, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to ask a longer question now, and I think it will make sense. So just there's a sort of preamble to it, um, and that is just about the um, thinking about the song, um, specifically about the song "Faithful One," because I know that's one that um, is so it's so loved and cherished by so many people around the world. And just to kind of give the context to the question, I had a, a friend um, in our church called Julia who was um, she'd had a very difficult life and uh, she had certain educational needs. And we had a 60th birthday lunch for her at the church, and um, we had this this lovely lunch. And she's a, she was a slightly sort of awkward, lovely lady, but slightly awkward around people. Um, and she stood up at the end, someone of few words, and said, I, "You know, so I want to say a few words. Um, just want to say thank you for coming." And then all I want to say is, and she began to sing, "Faithful One." And mm. um, wow. we stood and listened for I don't know, probably for the whole of the verse. And then someone thought of joining in because <laughs> it was very mm-hmm. fragile and very tender. Mm-hmm. And, and then we all joined in and it was wonderful and it was powerful. And then not so long afterwards, we stood around her bed while she was nearly nearly given into cancer and could barely talk. And again, we sang that song with her. And wow. there there she began to join in. And I say that I say that I suppose in some ways I want to tell you that because I just think it's a wonderful story and I imagine you've heard other stories like that about that song because it is mm-hmm. that kind of song for people and because it it put into words something which I think at the time perhaps needed to be said and now maybe there are more songs dealing with more diffi- the difficulties of life. Um, the question I want to ask really based on that though is what it is like for you as a person uh, as as the man Brian to have written such significant songs or so early in your life you know how how it has affected you is it something i know what the good christian answer probably should be oh i just give all the glory to god but is it is it even a burden sometimes having something like that or is it is it always a blessing and a joy how do you feel it's it's all of the above you know um absolute blessing i've 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 had stories about faithful one people were shipwrecked and they were floating in the ocean wow not knowing if they would be rescued. And they said that they kept their spirits up and their faith up, everything, by just singing Faithful One over and over and over again. I've had people recently kidnapped by extremists and they were were, um, held at gunpoint, done violence to for months, Mm -hmm. not knowing if they would live or die. And they created what they called a captivity hymn book. And all they went into captivity with was the songs that were in their memory, yeah. right? And so Faithful One was one of them and songs like that, right? Which is one of the things I real, I, I keep, one of the things I teach people, young songwriters, is, is, is that music goes into a different part of our brain. It's the part of our brain that remembers. So it's amazing to me that we send our pastors and our preachers away to school for years to learn to preach sermons that people promptly forget. And we tell our young songwriters, just write us a simple song. 
And yet it's the songs that carry the weight of often theology. And then they become the things we remember when yeah. trauma comes, right? So, yeah, so there's been amazing stories like that over the years. I think that, yeah, the tough part is that when you've known those stories and you've known the blessing on a song, when you write your next song, there's the, the downside of, well, this isn't a faithful one. This will never touch people like that, so why don't I just stop right now, you know? there's That can kind of echo around in your yeah. head. And then people sometimes don't see you as a, as a, a normal whatever person when they all of a sudden realize, quote-unquote, oh, you wrote that song. They think you're... And yet you have the exact same struggles and relational needs and... Um, human i'm a human being just like anybody else right so then sometimes people treat you weird like it's like they don't know how to talk you know they kind of get you know so i don't know and i i i think i mean definitely the blessing outweighs the the, the struggle but i think it's it's yeah it's it's i mean because every song is unique right and every song is important and valuable but but some just resonate more broadly. And um, I don't know, it's all, it is, it is all grace and it is all God's, but it is also each of our unique personalities. You know, some, some in the prophetic circles for years have talked about, you know, this, this nameless, faceless generation that will give all glory to God. And it always makes me scratch my head a little bit as a father of six children because I go, my children are never nameless and faceless. Mm. They all have a name. They all have a story. So I don't think the best way to give God glory is to be nameless and faceless. I think the best way to give God glory is to be a real human being mm. <laughs> and just live into what that means in the image of God and... So it's good to thank people for how they've touched us. You know, I love, I try and take opportunities when somebody either has written a book or done, you know, written a song or something. If I encounter them, I just say, thank you. That really helped me. It's not elevating them. It's just being a human yeah. being, you know? Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Um, and of course, your journey took you to over here to Britain for I think a couple of years in I'm going to, what is it the sort of the mid 90s or something like that I remember yep, that was 90, about around 90s. the time I was a student um I remember the British um vineyard church beginning to write again come, connection with the vineyard beginning to write songs with people like Brenton Brown and um Catherine Scott um and I know you were involved in that what was your role because you actually came and you brought your family over and and spent time yeah. here didn't you what was your role there well you can b definitely blame some of that on me because okay, yeah. um I was I was hired by the vineyard churches in UK and Ireland to train songwriters and worship leaders so what I did when I arrived and and for they they kind of trusted me and believed I had something to say maybe because I had a Canadian accent or something I don't know I you know I kind of go okay you want to trust me let's go for this <laughs> but what I did was I, I contacted pastors from from throughout the 75 churches and I said I want you to send in I want you to videotape your Sunday morning worship and if possible not even tell the worship leader you're going to do this 
and just send in a video and then send them to me. And this was back in the day where they had to physically wow. you know, put it on a VHS tape. Yeah. And, uh, and put it in it, the post. Ship it. Yeah, put <laughs> it in the post. Yeah, how, how many did it then? How many did you? Well, about 20, 25 pretty, people. Yeah, not bad. 25 churches. So then I then I took, you know, slipped these video cassettes in and started watching. And that's how I found, you know, Catherine was, was leading worship at a little Glasgow Vineyard Church, Brenton, at the Oxford Vineyard, the Cherwell Vineyard. Yeah. And, and these were, so what, and I told my leadership there, what I'm looking for is about a dozen people who I believe have gifting potential heart that i can sense and then i'm going to commit to those dozen yeah for two years to pour everything i can into them they'll come to our house we'll feed them we'll we'll hang out with them i'll teach them everything i know about songwriting and my goal is that they in their mother tongue will express their gap songs to god and their church's gap songs that they'll start writing for those gaps mm. And I said, I don't have any preconception about what British and Irish modern worship music sounds like, but it can't be imitative. It can't imitate American or Australian or me as a Canadian. It has to sound like them. Now, of course, we're in a global world now, so we're all, our music tastes are all being influenced by each other, but there's still an element of it. And that's what we did. And we, we would sit around sometimes and we would listen to like, current like modern rock and pop and folk music that was in the charts and we would we would just listen to it you know and we go what do you think of that and what's mother tongue of that to you and we would you know just ex you know so it was both stirring ourselves up musically and 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 yeah and and out of that now of course brenton and Catherine and you know some of, some of them have songs that are being sung around the world and I was there when they presented draft zero draft yeah. one and I said no you got to go back you got to work on that you got and it's so I'm it's it is literally one of my favorite moments of my life when I go somewhere else I was here at the college in Alberta just a few weeks ago and I was walking through the the main atrium and a bunch of students clustered around the piano and they were just singing for the pure joy of it and they started singing, you know, Hungry. Yeah. And I almost started crying because I remember the original rough demo that Catherine sent to me and then all of our discussions. And here were these young students, uh, kind of a generation later, singing that song. And I thought, wow, this is like, you know, to have, quote unquote, students of mine go on to really flourish in that. Yeah. And, it, it, yeah it's i don't know it's it's amazing experience. it's got to be like being a father in in some yeah, ways yeah absolutely absolutely and and some of them have have surpassed me in in ways i think brenton is just an unbelievably skilled songwriter and um yeah it's 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 an absolute joy to listen to yeah i think brenton has a i think brenton and, and paul Baloche are two who have a real gift for putting things in really simple nuggets it looks simple yeah but you know yeah. it's not you, you know it probably, yeah. i don't know whether it comes out simple at the outset but that's a special yeah. gift that not all of us can do i tend to have to be a bit more complicated to get my point across yeah, yeah. But i think they have a <laughs> hey yeah this is one of my wife's um kind of things with me she goes brian can't you say that simpler like just like try i'm, I'm trying i'm like 
and trying to whittle it down to that key phrase, you know. So yeah, it it, it, it but part of that is craft, and part of that is just yeah, perspective and gift. How long, oh Lord, will you forget me? talk about your um your approach to songwriting because i know you've been able to formulate this a bit as you taught various songwriters and i i read a few things that, that, that you've done and one of the things that i i came across was this sort of i think it was called songwriting triangle of god's truth our truth and poetry i read it did you know you'd written mm. that you've written that somewhere and i wondered uh, if yeah, you could just sounds... kind of give us a bit of insight into that these idea these clearly different parts that contribute to mm. and god truth yeah. and our truth what what, what that's about well, yeah, I think I think because I think a song exists in living tension between some um, not a duality, not like just um, two things, but I love whenever possible to have three things because it's kind of the triune nature of God and the triune nature of life. So for me, that I think I think you're referring to something that I put out somewhere where where I'm I'm. I'm talking specifically about there about the writing of lyrics, okay? Mm. So so when you when you get an idea, the gap reveals itself, a gift, whatever that phrase, or we need a song about X and you start working it. Um, I think we need all three of those points. So let me just make a few couple of comments about them. Mm. I put God truth at the top of the triangle to represent kind of like almost like magnetic north pulling us upward saying what is what can this song reveal that is truth about the character of God about his not just his character but how he works in the world um then the the our truth part is if we, for example, if we just focus our songs on having just God truth and not our truth, they will eventually become, um, uh, the, the, the thing is, is that the, the people who are worshiping are humans. Okay. Mm. And humans have stories. We have heartache. We have struggle and joy. And that truth that human truth needs to be come through in the song in a way that the, the somebody can go oh that's what i felt that's what i've needed to express to god and that of course then includes all of the difficult 
emotions. It's the need at times to lament. It's the need at times to confess. Mm. It's the need at times to wait, you know. And then I put on the other side of that triangle, I put poetry in that sense that that is the whole um, uh, learning the art of being a lyricist. Um, learning how to work with words that sing, learning how to work with words that spark our imagination, using metaphor. And that feeds both the God truth side and the our truth. Like you can, you can, there's some conversational lyrics that can work at times about our truth that are just kind of like, you know, I'm uh, I thinking of Lamont Hebert's song, Healer. I'm so tired of living for the kind of love that always comes and goes, but your love lasts forever. Well, that's kind of like a, on, on the spectrum on a song, that's kind of like a very, it's not very poetic. It's just kind of like stating conversationally our truth. Mm. And then it, the chorus goes to, um, you know, more pulling us towards God truth. So I fall on my knees. Um, anyway, but what I think, Often what's missing in lyrics is taking that extra step um, is to is to really make the words sing in fresh and unexpected ways. And yet that don't detract from the God truth mm. and our truth. One other thing I talk about a lot is the dance between the meaning of the words and the sound of the words. So if you think of these, this, this old couple on a dance floor and they, they kind of look a little kind of stiff and kind of, you know, crotchety as they, they kind of head towards the dance floor and you think, what's this going to be like? And then they get on that dance floor and all of a sudden they just, they flow, right? Mm. Because they've learned as a couple over all of their years of dancing together who leads and who follows, okay? So they just have this. So whenever you write a lyric... You are working with the meaning of the word and the sound of the word. And when you're writing in a faith-based context, the leader of the dance is always the meaning of the words. But if you don't take pay attention to the sound of the word, that's the poetry, the, the, the alliteration, the... The, the language yeah. skills that we develop as a lyric, then you're going to get statements that are true, but don't sing. Yeah. I.e., in the Middle Ages, the metrical psalms that the church sang, they were truth, but they didn't sing very well, and which is one of their passions, me as a member of the Sheer Poets, we're singing our way through the Psalter with new folk rock tunes, and we're, we're paraphrasing the lyrics so that they mean the same as the original song, but they sing. Yeah. Right? So so that's that dance, and that's all going on in that triangle. So I describe that that a song in the end lives in a, in a tension in the middle of that triangle between God truth, our truth, and poetry, or whatever word you want to use that describes all of the craftsmanship of working with a lyric to make it just flow off your tongue. Like, mm. Oh, you just want to sing the next line because the line, you're just being led there naturally by the lyric and you're, and, and it's sparking imagination. 
we probably don't have time now and I don't have my detailed notes, but <laughs> I've been right. recently I've been recently talking to my songwriters here about the power of metaphor. And one of the amazing things about working with metaphor in a lyric is when the human mind hears a metaphor, it goes for a moment slightly off balance because it goes, okay, that doesn't belong with that, but somehow that is that. It's like, right? And so what happens is they call it technically liminality. You're brought into the stage of liminality where you, you, and then what happens is when you discover the metaphor and when it makes sense and when the picture opens in your imagination, you get your, the pleasure centers in your brain are just totally activated. You go, because it's like you're, you've become, it's on a little mystery. What is this? What is this about? Why is that equal that? Why is, you know, whatever. Yeah. And then when you discover it in your mind, you oh, it's like yeah. all these little, these little ah moments. And that's, so when we work with God, truth and our truth, we want to improve our abilities to work with metaphor, to work with poetic language so that people get the pleasure of discovering those things as they sing our songs. And that takes time to develop those skills and that almost like a songwriter's intuition about what what sparks that. Yeah. I mean, certainly at, with Resound Worship, those are things, I don't think we put them quite so beautifully, but we those are things that we, um, a lot of that thing, those things we recognize and, and agree with. And actually, I think if I were to go to... Um, I'm not sure we necessarily do them well, but 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 we definitely they resonate and we'd agree. And and I think if I were to go to lots of other worship songwriters and um, well known and not so well known and share those, they'd all say, yeah, yeah, absolutely, ah, oh, yeah, it's got to have this, it's got to have you know, poetry, it's got to have the craft, it's got to have the different tree, it's got to have and so. But then they go and write the next song, and it's almost as a lot of the time it's as if oh we believe that stuff, but that might be quite hard to do. <laughs> but meanwhile, I might be able to churn out some other. So Do you know what I mean? I, that's yeah, that's yeah. a bit of a sense of what I see. I think I almost think everybody agrees oh, pretty much with that. Yeah. But I think only some people actually do it or really or try. How can we? Hmm. How can we get? How, how can we overcome that kind of um, inertia uh, right. in, in really pushing through that? Do you think? Well, one. Well, I mean, one suggestion I would have that in essence tries to replicate. Um, on a local way what I'm doing with my college students here would be to create songwriting circles and in a songwriting circle which could be like several songwriters at a local church or even better yet let's say in a certain town or city there's several worship leader songwriters from different churches but they're all kind of you know they've got a connection they could form a little songwriting circle and develop a, a heart for the broader, deeper church. And then they, they could meet like once a month, once every two months, and they bring the songs that they're writing, the gap songs that they need, and they share them with each other. And then they, 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 they develop the skill of what I call peer-to-peer -peer song evaluation. And you learn to serve the other songwriters in the circle by being objective by giving them feedback in a way that says, I love that line. Oh, that resonates with me. That line confuses me. When I hear that word, I, I'm pulled out of the song. When I hear that melody, that me melody is working against what the lyric is saying. Or that set of chord changes right there, that's a, 
That's a secondary set of core changes with passive energy, but right there you need forward energy and your chord is working against your lyric and those kinds of... So you develop that set of skills and then, but you also have to... I talk about not becoming uninvited co-writers, you know, like that line's not working, but you should say. You don't do that unless you're actually invited to being a co-writer. So, and so that take some maybe some training and some skill building but once you've got a functioning songwriting circle that stagnation and that that plateauing that you're describing for the songwriters where they they know these things but their songs don't improve is removed because what happens is we're spurring one another on i'm telling you if you could hear the songs that my students applied to this program with a year and a half ago and hear their songs now you would you, as a songwriter, you would just be like, what the heck? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. that is like a different, almost like a different person. Yeah. Because, but now, of course, we have, in our program here, we have three, we have an intro to songwriting course, which is 11 hours. And then we have, um, we have three, three credits, song, songwriting one, songwriting two, songwriting three, and those are each 33 class hours plus homework, and then they emerge by recording an original EP professionally produced by the end of the program. Wow. So, so And that's what our friend a, Matt Weeks came in. I, I think, I'm sure I've yeah, talked to him yeah, recently, he came in to help with exactly. that, didn't he? he came, yeah. He, yeah, yeah, and Matt Weeks was the bass player on, the, on those oh, EPs last year, and, and we're probably one of the only programs in the world that does this, um, that has a complete folk, a, a Christian based program that has a complete focus on songwriting creativity because my passion is, you know, and, and critique and learning the art of criticism is good. But if Christian colleges are primarily known for being critical thinkers and not being creative thinkers, then I go, man, we are missing an opportunity. Like creativity should be one of the hallmarks of being people of faith that, we believe in the creator creating us in his image. So songwriting development is just, yeah. So that's, but coming back to your question about plateauing, I think, I and I think everyone, I mean everyone, can become a better lyricist. And I was just chatting with the head of the Gospel Music Association in Canada, and he said his biggest frustration is he gets record after CD after EP, song after song, and he says it's almost always, he says, the lyrics are half-baked. And they just believe, because they're true, mm. right? They're true about God, that they're gonna, that's going to win the day. And he says, people don't understand that you actually have to learn a craft of lyric writing. He says, oh, yeah. I says, that's a lot of my coursework, is to try and push them and develop them. The, but the cool thing is lyric lyrics... You can learn those skills. It's not the musical side requires some training, but it's more about natural intuition, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, you either have it or you don't as a songwriter. But lyrics is, I, I think I'm writing way better lyrics now than I wrote when I started out. But doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean that the songs are more popular or or move people more. I'm just saying in my craft, I just try and continue to develop and still be me, you know, like, but that's, yeah. I love the way you, that you described, um, the songwriting circle. We, we have a really similar thing with resound 
where this is how we've for the last 10 years how we've written our songs we just we started by getting together doing exactly that sharing our songs um learning to critique one another and so on. And that's a model that we're now going around trying okay. to trying to share with people and i remember i remember how absolutely i'm aware of how it has how it's honed my musical ability but certainly my lyric writing and and i remember in the early days we really lacked a vocabulary with which to critique one another so we would listen right. to a song or we'd read some lyrics and we say i know that's not quite right but i can't actually i can't express it very helpfully and right. over time not only have we got better at the writing we've actually got better at uh, offering helpful right. critique because we we've got vocab now to use and we understand yeah. it and we we've got a yeah. more complete language yes absolutely because you're learning a craft and every craft every discipline has a set of unique terms and languages that it's simply you know to say the word prosody some people go what the heck is prosody and then you you demonstrate it to a songwriter and go prosody's everywhere bad prosody good prosody i i didn't even know about prosody right you're, you know? you're gonna and, have to and, explain prosody now okay so i don't pro, even pro, know if we pronounce it the same way i'm sure i said pros I don't, anyway maybe you say <laughs> maybe prosody. we do i don't know prosody. tomato tomato Exactly. This is what makes the world go round. So, so prosody is putting uh, the right emphasis, or look, put it. Use a funny example. You know, the wrong emphasis yeah. on the wrong syllable, right? So, when you speak a phrase, when a phrase of lyrics comes out in conversation, or as you would speak it, it has a flow to it, um, and you want your it's amazing how many times there's bad prosody in developing songwriters because they're forcing words to because they're 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 determined. I like mm. this melody and I like these words and they are going to get, going together. go together. <laughs> they are going to be a forced marriage no matter what. But they don't. It just doesn't quite work because, um, and and iron ironically enough, and Catherine and I had some funny conversations about this and um her song hungry is bad prosody emphasis on come to you yeah and 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 there's well it's yeah. mainly and, in and the more. chorus i'm you know i'm offering all yeah, of me of jesus yeah. yeah and and we and i pointed it out to her in the in the writing phase and we we worked on you know she we i kept on okay try this try this and at the end of the day we just said, you know, the song as a whole, the intent, the heart intent of the song stands and it yeah. works beautifully. Um, Did you have to back off then at a certain point and say, yeah. okay, Catherine, it's your yeah. song? A abs absolutely, you know. So, um, but like I just met, I just met with a young songwriter last week and he sent me like six demos and he had some good ideas, but the prosody was just a mess. And so I said, okay, now listen to this. You know, I think it was like, he, he started a line, profound grace meets us here, right? And it was kind of like, and I'm like, okay, now, you know that you're doing, that there's no prosody in that line. And he looks at me, and goes, what's prosody? Okay, so I said, well, listen to that. So you're going profound grace. And I'm going, but, but how would you say, you would say it? profound grace 
you would so you would have to have a pickup note on the word pro and found so that the the, the downbeat falls on found otherwise the phrase is going to come yeah. off as a ha- hack phrase right and all of a sudden this look came onto his face like it was like these all these dominoes started falling and he realized he'd been trying to write songs for several years and he had never considered prosody really? he'd never even considered and 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 now he contacted me later and goes, "You've blown my mind." And now I'm going. This is awesome. I'm going through. You know, like so. But it's like sometimes it's just like going through these one thing at a time. And I have this whole section in my songwriting two course where we just go through each of these you know areas one at a time. We spend a whole class you know listening to good prosody, bad prosody. Mm. You know, like then we go on to the next issue. You know. Uh, anyway, that's just one example. That's a great example. I like it. I'm, I'm, see, I'm working that already, and I'm in my mind. I'm thinking if you just swapped it around to Grace Profound, then you'd get the, you get the emphases right. in the right place. Right. Exactly. And those are the and and so it's learning a first of all learning recognizing what the issue is, what's what's pulling you out of the song, and then mm. what the possible solutions are. Yeah. Um, tell us about some of the things that you're up to at the moment. The the it, now it's the Shire. Is it the Shire? The Shire? How do we say this? Sheer. Is this a, it's a Canadian sheer. word? Or no, no, that? no, no, definitely not. <laughs> what is- sheer, sheer. Well, the the anglicized S H I Y R. That's a Hebrew word. Okay. So I could yeah. show you the Hebrew characters, but sheer means musical or singing. Brilliant. So we're the singing poets, and we're taking ancient Hebrew poetry and prayers, the Book of Psalms, and we're rendering them with new folk rock tunes. And this came out of a season where I lost my words. I stopped writing songs, 2010, 2011, 2012. I'd gone through a horrific conflict in a church. The church basically that we helped found and plant basically blew up. About 500 people scattered. Hmm. And it was about the, you know, it was about 25 years into my journey of doing this. And I think that was both burnout and intense conflict. And I just... Anyway, lost my words. Eventually, the psalms were there, especially the psalms of lament and question. And I just started singing them in private, thinking, I'm, I don't know if I'm ever going to write again. I'll just go on and do other things, you know? Uh, yeah, so that's... We're, we're now... We, we've put out two albums, Volume 1, Psalm 1 to 10, Volume 2, 11 to 20, and we're just writing Volume 3, Psalms 21 to 30 right now. In fact, we just wrote our draft of Psalm 23, The Lord is My Shepherd, yeah. um, two days ago. And that's uh, very close to my heart, this whole project. we, Because we're, we're singing the songs that the people of faith have always sung, but we're making singing them in our mother tongue, and we're not censoring out the difficult bits. Right. And there are some difficult so, bits. Yeah. Because <laughs> life <laughs> has some difficult And you haven't got to some bits. of them, have you? <laughs> Yeah, no, no. Though we just did, we just wrote our setting of My God, My God, Why Have You Forsaken Me, Psalm 22. Uh, And then I'm working on some fresh, um, I would just call them simply Jesus songs. I've got a single out that just came out called My King Has Got Scars on His Hands. And it's about the fact that Jesus' resurrected body still has scars and how, Mm. what that shows us. And it's a very simple. It's a triple A kind of in the vein of like Amazing Grace or some of the classic hymns. Like it's just a very simple congregational. And 
I taught it this summer in Holland and in Iceland, and, and, and it was quite amazing to watch people connect. So I've got a few other kind of who Jesus is and what he's doing and how he loves broken people. And so I'm probably going to record an EP next year amidst still doing the poets, sheer poets, and still being a, a full-time professor. So it's kind of a full life these days. Oh, it's good stuff. Brian, I've got one last question for you. And um, this is the question we ask all of our interviewees. And it is this. Uh, if you could pick um, one song by somebody else that you wish you'd written, what would you... And we can rewrite the history books. You can have it. What would you What would you choose? Oh, oh boy. Can I give you two really quick? Yeah, go on. Why not? <laughs> okay. Because uh, one's Christian and one's uh, mainstream. Uh, mainstream Bob Dylan to make you feel my love. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, and yeah. we've started singing that at concerts. I sing it as my own. It's like the it's like a love song, God singing over the world. Of course, Adele recorded it on 19. Yeah. Uh, I just, it's such a deeply spiritual song about, about unconditional love. I, I just, when I heard that song... I almost, you know, repented of ever trying to write a song in my life, you know, next to the genius of the poetic genius of Bob Dylan. The Nobel Prize uh, winning poetic genius. Yeah, just yeah, yeah, Nobel Prize winning. Yeah. And, and a complete um, antisocial. Um, I mean, fame does strange things to certain people. And he's one of those guys. But what a genius songwriter. Um Well, uh, a Tim Hughes song, um, God in My Living when he when that came out it was such a beautiful modern expression of celtic spirituality you know that i record i ended up recording it um mm. it was one of those songs i just always say you know that's my song tim wrote it but it's my song and and that's the best kind of response you want as a songwriter then somebody everybody else goes that's what mm. i needed to say and i couldn't find the words to say you know so that was one of the recent you know, worship songs that came out that I thought that is exactly one of the things we need to say because we need to affirm that God is is not just in our working, but he's in our sleeping, he's in our resting, mm -hmm. he's in our thinking, he's in our speaking, you know, God, you know, I was just like, okay, thanks, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I don't even know if he ever heard my recorded version of it. I. I only run into Tim, you know, maybe, I don't know, once or twice a decade, you know, or so, at somewhere. So, but um, I'm very grateful to him for that song. That's a great answer. Thank you, Brian. We'll tell you what, we'll throw it. We'll give you both those songs. You can, you can have them both. <laughs> we'll let Bob and Tim know. Uh, yeah. It's, it's been such a pleasure to speak to you. I would I would really happily sit and continue to talk about songwriting for hours, but eventually I think our listeners will get bored. So I just want to say thank you so much yeah. for joining us. And I uh, wish you every blessing with everything you're involved in at the moment. Thanks so much. And every blessing to all of you listeners. Keep on writing. Keep on growing in your craft. And um, write the songs that I can't write. Yeah. Uh -huh.
Jacob's God keep you safe.